Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot. Alluring, the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Are you better than the Thebes, situated on the Nile, with water around her? The river was her defence, the waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies. She was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe fruit. When they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. Look at your troops. They are all women. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed their bars. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defences. Work the clay, tread the mortar, repair the brickwork. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down. And, like grasshoppers, consume you. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more than the stars of the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the walls on a cold day. But when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. O king of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? And it'll be a great help if you can turn back to that reading from Nahum chapter 3. It's on page 938 in the church Bibles. And let's pray as we turn to God's word. We've just been singing these words, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. And Father, tonight as we look at Nahum 3, we pray that that indeed would be the case for us. That the name of Jesus would indeed sound sweet to us, we pray. Amen. It is often very hard to be certain about the future. Uh, Scotland won their first Six Nations 
game uh, yesterday for two years, but that's no guarantee that they'll win again in the next two years. Uh, There's no guarantee of the future. Uh, There'll be others of us here tonight thinking about our futures, and we have exams coming up. And there's no certainty about the outcome when it comes to our exams or the first job interview. There'll be no certainty for us in life when we think about whether we'll get married or have children. There's no certainty for us that we'll have a steady income, that we'll live in a nice house, that our marriage will be happy, that our children will grow up to be content and happy people. In a room this size, as we think about our future, there'll be all kinds of ways in which we experience uncertainty. We don't know what will happen at all kinds of levels. As we turn to the Bible with the uncertainties we are bound to feel, looking at our lives in front of us, we don't find particular answers to particular questions about the future. We don't find in the Bible an answer to who will marry. We don't find in the Bible an answer to the question of will I be happy in my life or how much money will I earn? The Bible doesn't work like that. It doesn't give us those kind of particular answers. But the Bible does give us huge certainty on several massive, life-changing realities about what will happen in the future. And these huge realities are here to give us a rock under our feet, to help us to stand firm in all the ups and downs of an uncertain life. Here are a few crucial things that are certain. Tonight, I think the purpose of Nahum 3 is to give us certainty about God's judgment in the future. We've been seeing these past few weeks how the future of little Judah was so very uncertain Overwhelmed by this massive Assyrian empire towering over her as an as a unfriendly neighbor. She was under great threat. You can imagine for the people living in Judah that day in, day out, they would have experienced great uncertainty. Not just at a national level, but at, at a personal level. What would happen to my farm when the Assyrians come? The, the vineyards, the, the cattle. What will happen to my children? What kind of land will they grow up in in the future? All kinds of questions that might come to them. Nahum doesn't answer any of those questions directly. But he writes to give the people of God, Judah, certainty about this great issue of God's judgment coming to the wickedness and evil of Assyria. And for for God's people, this certainty about God's future judgment, well, it is, it's good news Nahum's name means comfort, and he writes to comfort God's people with a message of future peace and rescue from her enemies through judgment. And so right at the very end of Nahum, verse 19, we read, everyone who hears the news about you, Assyria, claps his hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? See, Nahum imagines a future when when God's people clap at the sounds of her downfall. Not clapping in some glib or exuberant way. No, God's judgment is far too awful for, for that kind of glib response. And yet, 
when we see that God's judgment will come with a profound, unshakable certainty, that he will remove evil, sin, and wickedness from his people and throughout the world, well, it is a message of great comfort. It is a message which reminds us that no matter what happens in life, it is worth sticking with the Lord and trusting in him because of this future. As we turn to Nahum 3, I think we see two reasons why we can be certain about God's judgment. Uh, First, judgment is certain because God won't tolerate sin. He won't tolerate sin. Look at uh, verse 1 with me. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. It is a a gruesome picture of the city of Nineveh, full of bloodshed, lies, victims. Or look at verse four. All because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and people by her witchcraft. Uh, Nahum speaks of Nineveh as if she was a a woman of, of ill repute, a prostitute, standing on the street corner of the nations, crying out, come and follow me, offering promises of pleasure. But, says Nahum, it was all lies. For what Nineveh actually offered was not pleasure, but terrible enslavement. And there's a real darkness to what was happening in Nineveh. Um, Verse four talks about uh, sorceries and witchcraft and Um, Archaeologists have discovered, digging around the side of Nineveh, thousands of tablets uh, full of uh, witchcraft and magic and sorcery. It seems that there's a real darkness inside Nineveh, a spiritual darkness. It is quite a picture. In fact, earlier in the Bible, we actually have have a worked example of this kind of behavior as Uh, Nineveh stands like a prostitute calling the nations to come and to follow her to the city of bloodshed. Uh, If you have a Bible, in fact, it'd be great to keep a thumb in Nahum 3, but to flick back to Isaiah chapter 36, it's on page 720. And in Isaiah 36, we, we find described for us an incident earlier on in history when Assyria surrounded Jerusalem under an earlier king, and Assyria was, was threatening Jerusalem and trying to get her to, to, um, to cave in. And we see how the messengers of Assyria speak to Jerusalem and how they try to tempt her to follow Assyria. And so look with me at verse 16 of Isaiah 36. These are the words of the Assyrian messengers. Do not listen to Hezekiah, that is the godly king of Judah, This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of corn and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not listen to Hezekiah. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Do you see 
the, the call from Assyria to the nations. You can imagine being besieged. You're starving and hungry. And they say, look, we've got food, corn, wine. Plenty of it. Come and follow us. In fact, we'll, we'll give you a land like your own. It'll be a good land full of, of, of vineyards. It'll be a land of uh, the land you long for. It sounds so tempting, but it was all a lie. They were saying, give up following the Lord. You're better off coming with us. It's the call of the prostitutes, offering much, but actually delivering terrible results. We know from documents recovered from Nineveh what actually happened to her victims who believed the lie and came with them into exile back to Nineveh. Here is the account from just one king of, uh, of Assyria. I flayed all the chief men and I covered the pillar with their skins. I cut off the limbs of the high officers of the royal officials. Many captives from among them I burned with fire and many I captured alive. From some I cut off their hands and their fingers and others I cut off their noses and their ears and the eyes of the men I put out. Do you see? No vineyards, no wine, no bread, no comfort, all lies, all cruelty. And yet that is what Nineveh was doing. Back to Nahum 3. She was a city full of blood, for she had tempted many to come and follow her, and she had treated many like I just described. Judgment is certain because God won't tolerate sin. Verse five, the Lord says, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty, because that is how Nineveh has been living. Nineveh is not around today. The city's been destroyed. But I think we see this pattern happening again and again throughout the ages. The world around us, individuals and nations crying out to us, come and, and live our way. You'll be happy and fulfilled if you move away from the Lord and come and follow the way that we live our lives. The God of the Bible, he, he, is, he has nothing to offer you. We have something far better. We hear the voice of materialism saying, buy this product, get this upgrade, spend your money that way, then you'll be happy. The voice of sex, do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, and it doesn't matter. But do you see this call to abandon the Lord and to abandon his ways and to follow someone else or something else, it is a lie. It can never fulfill, it never lasts, it always leads to sorrow and enslavement. It happened back then in Nahum's day and it happens again today, again and again. And those who live this way, to those who are like Nineveh, kind of calling out a false message of of lies, tempting God's people away, well, we see here that God's judgment is certain. Certain for Nineveh, certain today on the nations who live like this. And yet, of course, as we look at our own hearts, if you're anything like me, then you'll see a heart which so often has believed the lie. We've thought the Lord hasn't got what we need. 
that we're better off going away from the Lord and pursuing pleasures and fulfillment and life elsewhere. And we have allowed ourselves to be enslaved in this city of lies. Well, God's judgment is certain, for he will not tolerate sin. Verses two and three describe uh, the advancing army, the, the, the Babylonians coming towards Nineveh. And it's an incredible sight of these galloping horses coming towards them. And verse three is, it's a terrible picture of what will happen to Nineveh. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot. It is a terrible picture of God judging a city full of sin. And verse five, because Nineveh has been behaving like a a prostitute, well, verse five, the Lord says, I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. You see, when, when God judges, he wants his judgment to be seen to be fair and appropriate fitting for the sin that's been done. There will, I think, be a bringing out into the light all the evil and wickedness that has been kept hidden in the darkness. That is what I think verse five means as the skirts are lifted and Nineveh's activities, her sin, her deceit is made plain to the nations. There is a a bringing out into the open of what was kept hidden. And I think we've seen something similar happening in our day, lots of different ways perhaps, but one example is the banking crisis. We have discovered recently over the last few years that for decades there were people who were making vast amounts of money through careless practices at the expense of other people. And in the last few years, what has been happening in the darkness has come out into the light, and it's good and right that that has happened We've seen more recently in northern Iraq as towns and villages have been recaptured from ISIS and as the the troops move in, the brutality of what has happened under ISIS occupation has become clear. They've discovered mass graves. They've discovered people missing limbs and telling terrible stories. You see, what ISIS has been doing behind closed doors is coming out into the light for the world to see, and it is good and right that that happens. Just two examples. But when God comes to judge all the nations, there will be a great bringing out from what was once hidden for all to see. And then we will see that God's judgment is a right response to the sin of the world. And can I say, when sin is exposed, it will be a lonely place. Look at verse seven. All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins, who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? The footballer Adam Johnson has been in the news the last few weeks. He's on trial for alleged uh, activity with a young girl and... Um, before the trial began a lot of his teammates rallied around him and said that they would be willing to stand in the witness box to act as character witnesses for Adam Johnson and say look he's a good guy he couldn't have done these things but then as the trial has gone on Adam Johnson has pleaded guilty to at least some of the charges and do you know what happened to all his mates 
all his teammates who had once said, oh, we'll stand with you. They've all melted away. None of them will stand in the dock to say, oh, he's a good guy. And that is what happens when our deepest sins are exposed. It'll be a lonely place. I've heard people say to me, I don't care what God thinks of me. Even if he casts me out of his presence, at least I'll have all my mates around me and we'll just have a great time together without God. But they won't. Because when God judges, he reveals what was actually happening in each heart. He reveals all the sin, all the lies, all the self-promotion, the self-centeredness, the pride, the slander of others. And when people see and hear what was actually going on in the hearts of their friends, they will run a hundred miles. It'll be a lonely place when God judges the world, just as it was for Nineveh when God exposed her wickedness to the world and judged her. It is a disturbing picture. And even though this is focused on Nineveh, we are bound to think about ourselves as well. For I guess each of us have things that we've done in private, in the dark, that we don't want to be brought out into the light. And what will happen for us here tonight when God's judgment comes? Well, more on that later on tonight. But we see here, first of all, judgment is certain because God won't tolerate sin. Next, in our second point, is this. Judgment is certain because God will destroy every defense. Look at verse eight. Nahum says, are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile, with water around her? The river was her defense, the waters her wall. Thebes was the capital of Egypt, uh, one of the, the great cities of the ancient world. She had stood for a thousand years or more as, as the great capital of Egypt. I read that her, her walls were 27 miles in circumference, which was an unthinkable size for a city back in that day. Just last week, I went to Western Park Museum with some friends just down the road here in Sheffield. And there on display was a special feature of Egyptian culture. And there right in front of me as he walked in was an Egyptian mummy. And as I read the little inscription of it, it turns out that this Egyptian man, he had died around the age of 40 through, it seems to be, a violent death. Well, he was from Thebes, around about 600 BC, the very time that Nahum is speaking about. It was strange standing here in Sheffield, looking at this mummy from an ancient time, and yet so very real. So what happened to this real mighty city surrounded, verse 9, with all her allies? Well, verse 10, she was taken into captivity. Do you see how every generation of thieves was involved in this downfall? Horrifically, we're told, the babies were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. Her nobles, the great men, the older generation, well, they were put into chains and taken away into captivity. Why does Nahum tell Judah now about Thebes? What's the point of all this? Well, verse 11 addresses Nineveh. 
you too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. That is the logic. If Thebes, mighty Thebes, a thousand years Thebes, if that city could fall, well then any city can fall. No matter how strong the defense is. And Assyria can fall as well. I think that's the logic of, of turning to Thebes, but, but why pick out Thebes? Other cities have fallen throughout the history of the world. Because if you were living in Judah's day, then you would have known exactly who had sacked Thebes. You would have seen from your uh, doorway in your farm, looking out across the rolling hills, you would have seen a tremendous army marching south, heading through your land, mowing down everything in front of it, heading south for one purpose, on a 1,300-mile journey, for one purpose, to destroy Thebes. Where did the army come from? From Nineveh. It was the Assyrians who did it. One of the most outrageous maneuvers in history. 2,600-mile round trip just to sack Thebes, because she could. And Judah would have seen it happen on the way down, this mighty army on the way back, all the captives being trained behind her, the noble men of Thebes in chains. And so Judah knew that if Thebes could fall, well, Nineveh could fall as well. I think also we see here, just again, how terrible and cruel Nineveh and Assyria had been. They were the ones who were dashing the babies and destroying the city. And so Nahum writes to little Judah to say, look, God will come in judgment, it is certain, because God will destroy every defense. It happened with Thebes, and it will happen with mighty Nineveh. And look at what will happen to Nineveh's defenses. There's a whole little catalog of of great things that will happen to Nineveh. Verse 12, uh, the fortresses, will be like fig trees with their ripe fruit. When they are shaken, the figs will fall into the mouth of the eater. These mighty walls will be shaken and they'll fall apart. And then there's the army, verse 13. Look at your troops, they are all women. Then the gates, they are wide open to your enemy. Fires consume their bars. Then verse 14, there's the walls being strengthened and built up. But look what happens, verse 15. The fire devours you. The merchants who have brought so much great wealth to Nineveh, more numerous than the stars in the sky, they will be like the locusts that strip the land and then fly away when they fancy it. Verse 17, the gods, so many gods, they are like locusts all over the wall, swarming around. But then like locusts, they will fly away. The point is so brutally clear. All of Nineveh's defenses will do nothing to stop God's judgment when it comes. It happened once to Thebes, We know it did happen again to Nineveh, just as Nahum saw, and it will happen again in the future. Judgment is certain because God will destroy every defense. And it will happen when Christ returns. I think people today have all kinds of excellent defenses in their minds that they think will work against God's judgment if they believe in a God. They think, well, there's my good moral behavior. Uh, Look, um, 
There's a huge number of people in this country who think that if there is a God, then they can rely on their behavior, their, their charity work, the way they voted, their donations to food banks or whatever else they've done. They think that, that these things will be a good defense when God comes to judge. They'll think, we'll survive it, we'll be okay. Or perhaps where we're born, our passport, our family background, even the church we go to, or in our comparisons with other people, or at least I'm better than them. These are all defenses that people have in their minds that they think will work, but they won't. I had a friend at school who seemed to be able to to talk his way out of uh, any detention, no matter how many times he was caught doing things, how many times he failed to do his homework or how disruptive he was in class. He always managed to find a way to blag his way out of detention. He had a way about him, a kind of swagger and a way of just getting his way with teachers. It was annoying. But isn't that how many people today think it'll be when God comes back to judge? There'll be a bit of fast talking, some careful spin, some bravado, and it will be okay. But it won't work. If Thebes could fall, if Nineveh could fall, then every defense will fall. Judgment is certain because God will destroy every defense. There are only two books in the Bible that end with a question. The first is Jonah. And the question at the end of Jonah is about Nineveh. God says, should I not be concerned about that great city? And the answer in Jonah's time is, was yes, he, he was concerned. He sent the prophet to warn them. He showed remarkable compassion and mercy on Nineveh. She was given plenty of time to repent and to turn around. But fast forward a hundred years and you get to the second book of the Bible that ends with a question. And this time the question is very different. Nahum chapter 3 verse 19. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Do you see, God had given Nineveh a hundred years. A hundred years of compassion and grace. A hundred years of warning. And how had they used that hundred years? Well, verse 19 tells us they used it for endless cruelty. A hundred years of denying the Lord, of doing their own thing, of prostituting with the nations, bringing people in and enslaving them. As we look at these two questions, the first question of compassion, the second question of finality, that judgment is coming, I think we are bound to look forward to our day. For we live in a day of remarkable grace We have been given warnings from the Lord about how judgment works. And now we have time. We don't know how much time, but we have time. How will the nations use that time? May it be for repentance, but I fear it rather it will be for cruelty and idol worship. I wonder how we should respond to the message of Nahum. Well, as I said at the beginning of tonight, there are all kinds of reasons why we 
might not be certain about our future. We have all kinds of pressures and concerns on us that make us worry. Well, here is one rock for our foundation in our lives, that there will be a day when God will come and judge the world, for he will not tolerate sin, and he will overcome every defense. And so for Christians, God's people who who stick to the Lord and who are oppressed by others, there is a day coming when God will remove evil and wickedness from the world by judgment, just as in the day of Nahum. And so whatever happens to us now in this world, we know what the future will be like. We know what God will do for his people. But of course, as I've said as well tonight, we have to look at ourselves as well. For in so many ways, we are not that different from the people of Nineveh. What should our response be as we see how God will judge in the future? Well, our response should be what we've been seeing all the way through Nahum. It should be the the response back in Nahum 1 verse 7. If you just flick back to that. Words of great comfort. Nahum 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Nahum doesn't say that God cares for good people for people who have their lives sorted out, for people who never make mistakes. No, he says he cares for those who trust in him. That is the great call of Nahum as well. When we see how God will judge the evil and wickedness, it's a call to go on trusting the Lord. And of course, as we flick forward in the Bible, we see how broken the kingdom of Assyria was, also how broken the kingdom of Judah was. We long for another kingdom that wouldn't be evil and twisted and broken. We long for a king who would rule in perfect freedom and fairness. And as we come to the words of Mark 1, and Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, I think that fits very much with the longing we see in Nahum. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these words of comfort that show us that you care about evil and wickedness in the world, that you will one day remove it from your people. And also, Father, please, would you help us to be people who do not follow the world, but rather come running back to Christ and cling to him as our one sure refuge. In Jesus' name, amen.